this week, uh, we, we've, you know, if you've been around, we've been working our way for the past, I don't know, couple of months through some of the parables of Jesus. Um, next week, we're going to start a, a short series for three weeks uh, called Family Traits, when we're going to remind ourselves and refocus on uh, kind of a start of a new year, a, a village, the year kind of tends to run like in the academic year where, you know, we're in the middle of the summer now and, and things are a bit quieter and so on. Um, but as we start into that new year, new season together, uh, we're going to look at family traits, um, particular these three things that, that make us, us. Uh, you know how every family has its own characteristics, mine are loud. Um, but uh, gospel community and mission is really what we're going to look at over the next uh, few weeks. Um, so, so, so do uh, be ready for that. That's an, going to be an important one as we head into the new, like our missional community starting up again and all that kind of thing. Um, and then after that, I'm very excited about this. Uh, we're going to start a long series in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. We're just going to take as long as it takes to work our way through the book of Hebrews. We're going to have the scripture, scripture journals available again. Um, along with the ability to take card payment now, which would be great, contact us, keeping it safe. Um, so uh, be reading Hebrews over the next few weeks. Get in the zone. Be prepared for that. It's a phenomenal book. Um, really, really one of the best uh, explanations of how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. But we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But for this week, we're taking a, a kind of a, a sidestep. And I, I, guess, I guess really what we're, we want to do this week is I just want to encourage us all um, in persevering, standing firm in the Lord. Um, and that's what, we've, we've, that's what we've been looking at in this passage that Jess read for us. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I love cycling. Um, I love it as a hobby. I love it as a sport to watch on TV. Everyone's like, that's ah, so boring. It's really not boring. It's great. Um, I love it as a form of exercise. Um, I don't know if I can still dine out in this story, but like a, a few, I say a few years, a number of go, years ago, uh, Thomas and I were part of a group. We cycled from Belfast to Paris, and it was uh, great. Um, but maybe you have this opinion of cycling where you're like, that is not a very exciting sport. That's not very a tough sport. You know, come on, it's like guys wearing Lycra, you know, what are they doing? But actually, cycling produces some of the toughest athletes that you'll ever see anywhere, honestly. Um, I don't know if there's any cricket fans in the room, um, but, uh, you know, cricket gets called off when it rains. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Cyclists climb Alps on a bike in all weathers. So you tell me. Anyway, uh, nothing against cricket. There we go. Uh, but, but one of the things I love about cycling is the crashes, not because I'm a sadist and I like seeing crashes, but because what's revealing the crashes is this spirit of determination. So uh, in, in 2013, uh, anyone know, heard of Grant Thomas? Uh, like tumbleweed. Grant Thomas uh, won the Tour de France a couple of years ago, but in 2013, he was involved in a crash on the very first day of the Tour de France, and he broke his pelvis fractured his pelvis, and so he didn't go to hospital. He didn't, uh, you know, go and have a lie down even, like a normal person. He got on his bike, and he finished the race. The next day, he was in so much pain, he couldn't lift his leg over his bike that he had to be lifted onto his bike so that he could cycle that day. Um, in the same crash, there was a German rider called Marcel Kittel. Uh, he, in the same crash, big, massive pileup, and uh, he... Um, he had a, a concussion. He was knocked unconscious, had a concussion, had a contusion in his left lung, left lung, and uh, he had a really deep cut in his left elbow and similar uh, cuts and scrapes. And he got back on his bike, kept racing. The next day, uh, helped his team win a time trial. Uh, these guys are insane. They're like the Terminator. 
I was saying, to, me and Haley were talking about the other day, like you, you definitely have to be like a little bit psychotic to be that competitive um, where your body's, you know, you've got a fractured pelvis and you keep going. But they just don't give up. Like nothing, nothing will stop them. Nothing will stop them. And it's that spirit, it's that determination, it's one of the things that I love cycling for. You just really don't see that in many other sports. It's, it's a desire to win. It's a desire to help your teammates no matter what, no matter what comes your way. It's, it's actually amazing. And today in that passage from Philippians 3 that, that Jess read for us, um, this is a, a letter that Paul was writing to his church family in, in a city of Philippi, and I'll come back to that later. But it's really, uh, it's really a, a message. This letter is a, a message about not giving up. There's something about the, the Christian life, there's something about following Jesus that requires us to, to, to stand firm, to, to have steadfastness. It's a desire to keep walking forward, no matter what, right? Um, and the Apostle Paul here in this passage, he calls it standing firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, he says. This is what he says in, 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 at the end of this passage in, in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I, love, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, Paul is, as you can tell from that language, he's got so much affection, deep, deep love for these people. He calls them his crown, his joy and my crown. He longs to be with them. He's not with them at the minute, and we'll, we'll come back to that later on. And because of that love that he has for them, his desire, is, his desire is not that they would grow wealthy, not that they would uh, always be healthy or always safe from trouble. Or, uh, his desire that they would just stand firm in the Lord no matter what comes their way. In fact, this is one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to them. Um, he, he is, um, he, he's in prison in Rome. Paul's been imprisoned uh, for his faith. You can imagine he's a bit of a troublesome character. He's going around telling people about Jesus, this thing, hey, this guy that, that we thought was dead and you, you crucified and, and killed, he's actually risen from the dead and, and, and all kinds of trouble ensues across Europe. And so he finally gets to Rome and, of course, he gets arrested. Um, but he's saying, listen, you've got to keep the faith no matter what. And so he writes this letter to these people, his joy and his crown. And way back at the start of the letter, even in chapter 1, verse 27, he, he gives them the same command. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of, of Christ, Live in a way that matches up to this good news of Jesus so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. There's a fair chance I might get crucified here. Um, even, even if I don't get there, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, for the faith of the, of the, of, of the good news of Jesus. He's saying, listen, don't give up. Don't get pushed off course. Just keep pursuing Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Stand firm. And, and, and you know, I say this sometimes when I'm, I'm teaching. Sometimes when we read the Bible in English, um, we need to do a little bit of work to, to understand, well, what do these, some of these words uh, uh, actually mean for us? Because the meanings of words change over years and, and centuries. But, but actually what we have, this, this phrase that he uses, stand firm, is just a really, really good translation of that. It literally means don't be moved. It literally means persevere, uh, have deep roots. Um, it makes me think of um, the tree, trees that you see when you're going up to the North Coast, right? Do you know, um, I'm assuming most of us have been up the North Coast at some point, um, and you know if you're heading up that road from, from Balamoney to, towards Port Rush, 
And as you're coming towards the coast, you start to notice that something weird about the trees. Like all the trees are, are bent away from the sea. Have you ever noticed this? The trees lean. Uh, they have no branches on one side. They're all bent over because, because they've been beat up by the wind for years and years and years. The, the Atlantic wind is so, is so strong. They've just been battered by the Atlantic wind. And even though they're bent over, and even though they bear the physical marks of, of being in that environment, they haven't been moved. Their roots are deep. They're strong. They are standing firm. And Paul says, you know, as followers of Jesus, you're going to have all kinds of winds coming your way. You're going to have all kinds of weather. You've got to stand firm. Yes, you might bear the physical marks. Yes, you're going to look a certain way because you're in that environment. You're standing firm. You're not going to be moved. No matter how much of a battering we take, we're not moved. Um, Healy will tell you that I'm a pretty stubborn guy. That's one of my family traits as well, loudness and stubbornness. Um, I'm a pretty stubborn guy, um, but this is different. This is not just stubbornness. This is a holy stubbornness. This is, this is, when you're, this is not just backing down of an argument because you want to win. This is because you're rooted in the one who cannot be moved. We're rooted in Jesus. And this is what we're called to. This is what the church is called to. And so like those cyclists who, who just refuse to quit, that's what we need to do. We, we refuse to ever quit on Jesus. And so the question, if, that, if that's Paul's call to us, he's saying, brothers and sisters whom I love, stand firm. The question then is, well, how do we do this? Because you, I mean, you know as much as I do that like, it's hard out there. It's hard, it's hard when you go to work. It's hard when you're um, you know, in the world, to use that old-fashioned phrase. It's hard. It's hard when, when the, the wind is just battering you. How do we stand firm? Well, I just want to share three short lessons from, from this passage where I think Paul gives us insight how to, how to stand firm in the Lord. And we see we, we, we stand firm in the Lord by following Christ-like examples, by walking in the way of the cross, and by looking forward to Jesus coming back again. And it's that simple. So firstly, we stand firm by following Christ-like examples. Listen to what Paul says in, in verse 17 again. He says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, I don't know about you, but sometimes when, that, when, you, when you read or hear uh, Paul or anyone uh, make a statement like that, imitate me, <laughs> you're like, well, hold on, who, who's this guy I think he is? Like, he's not perfect. He's just a man. He's not Jesus. Surely if I'm going to imitate anyone, I'm going to imitate Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Paul isn't being arrogant. He's being a good leader. He's being a leader. You see, Paul often tells people to imitate him, but the key to that command is, is that they're imitating him as he imitates Jesus. So when we did our, when we did our study of 1 Corinthians a few months ago, we, uh, Paul says the same thing to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not arrogance, it's leadership. And, and, and I think that one of the best features that we have in the church family is that we have older brothers and sisters that, that, that can show us how to follow Jesus just by the way they live. Really. Like, where would any of us be in our faith? Maybe you're a brand new Christian, that's great. But, but ask people who have been a Christian for a long time. Ask them, how have you, you know, how, they imitate people. They look to older brothers and sisters. They always have done. There's people in my life. I think of, I think of even Lucas, who, who we're saying goodbye to. Like, I mean, for the last 10 years, just been like a big brother to me. I was going to say dad, but he would take offense at that. But 
And this is part of the, the, the genius, part of the brilliance in, in God's design for his family. The church is one of his ki- kindest gifts to us. He gives us examples of people to follow. And that's how people learn, isn't it? It's how kids learn. So, so Abigail, who's, who's uh, two and a half, and then Finley, who's six, her big brother. Like, I mean, yeah, she's into unicorns and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. But she also wants to do uh, lightsaber fights and, you know, climbing off stuff. And, and anything that Finley wants to do, she wants to do it. If Finley wants to go outside and play, then she wants to go outside and play. If, if he wants to watch TV, that's what she wants to do. And, and she imitates his language. She, she copies the things he says. Because that's how we learn. That's, it's written into how we are as human beings. It, it's, it's, like, it's like apprenticeships. Apprenticeships work because that's how we're designed. We, we learn by following examples. It's when you, when you spend time learning a craft, you, you watch someone uh, being skillful at something, and then you copy the way they do it. That's how we learn. And this is the same in the church. It's how we learn to, to follow Jesus. And God has, has, has wise, wisely made it so that, that in his family we have examples of older brothers and sisters that we can follow, that we can imitate as we learn how to follow him. And now, I don't just mean older in age, by the way. So young people, you're not off the hook here. Because, because actually, you know, sometimes there are people who are older in, in age that are less mature in the faith, and there are people who are younger in age here who are more mature in the faith. But in the church, God gives us more mature, is a better way of saying it, more mature brothers and sisters that we can follow as we learn how to follow Jesus. And, and that's really what discipleship is. We talk about discipleship a lot. Um, so in our church, we have missional communities. Uh, we have core groups. Um, we have men's weekends. We have women's weekends. And we have all these things that are, are made for discipleship. Um, we talk about discipleship a lot. But, but discipleship isn't just meeting somebody for a coffee once a week and, and maybe doing a Bible study. Now, those things are really good to do, by the way. Um, but in the New Testament, as we read through the Bible, uh, discipleship is so much more than that. So I don't know how, how much you're aware of the New Testament. So let me just fill you in. Paul, who wrote this letter uh, and planted a lot of churches in the early days of the church, uh, he, had a, he had an apprentice called Timothy. He was a young man. And, and he didn't say, no, Timothy, it's great you're a Christian. I see a lot of potential in you. Let's nip down Starbucks, or probably not Starbucks. I'd be disappointed if Paul went to Starbucks, but maybe somewhere good. But like... Um, if, 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 if Paul didn't say, Timothy, let's meet down for a coffee once a week and you can tell me what you're struggling with and we'll read the Bible. He didn't do that. He said, Timothy, come on with me, son. Come with me. We're gonna, I'm, I'm, you're going to come with me and I'm going to show you how to live for Jesus. I'm going to show you uh, how to plant churches. I'm going to show you um, uh, what it's like to walk with Jesus. And, and, and I love it. You know, we, we, um, we, you read the book of Acts and you read all these letters in the New Testament and you get, uh, you get kind of the highlights of what it was like for those guys. You don't get the pictures of, you know, like day 46 of sitting, waiting on this boat to turn up. You know, Timothy, mate, it's your turn to go and buy the bread today from the market, away you go. Or like, you know, or if, if Paul gets into an argument with someone or, or those, those kind of minor things when they have to pay the rent or pay the bills or whatever. You don't see those things, but, but, but you can guarantee that those times that we don't read about were, were valuable to Timothy as he followed as he followed, as he imitated Paul. Paul invites Timothy to observe and follow his example. And, and, and church, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Is that, and this is what we, we will talk about in the next few weeks. In village, um, in the Bible, discipleship is, is following the whole life examples 
of brothers and sisters as they walk with Jesus. That's actually worth repeating again because sometimes we miss that point. Biblical discipleship is following the whole life examples of brothers and sisters as they follow Jesus. That's it. It's about spending time in the, in the everyday lives of our brothers and sisters so that you can see how they follow Jesus. It's, it's observing how they follow Jesus in their marriage, in their singleness, in their parenting, in their business, in their job, in their social action. It's about how they are with neighbors. It's seeing how they practice hospitality, how they care for the poor, how they celebrate, how they grieve, how they suffer, how they mourn. We learn how to follow Jesus by imitating how more mature brothers and sisters follow Jesus. If you're a young Christian, I give you permission to impose yourself on anybody in this church. Impose yourself on them and and follow their examples. And if you're an older brother or sister, then welcome younger brothers and sisters in. Let them see your life. Don't let them see a polished version of yourself in the coffee shop for one hour a week. Um, one of my favorite things is like, well, I mean, you know, I say I'm going to say favorite things. I love it when people just come to our house when we're not expecting anyone. Um, when maybe there's dishes to do and, and there's obviously toys all over the floor because uh, her mission every day is to take everything she owns and put it on the floor. Um, but but I say her as an Abigail, not Haley. <laughs> just in case, sorry, wasn't <laughs> well, sorry, Haley. Um, but I love it when people just walk into that. Because that's re- it's easy for me to be a good Christian if, we're, if I'm up here preaching. Or it's easy for me to be a good Christian if I'm in the coffee shop uh, expecting you to come to me uh, with your problem or something. But, I, but we need to see each other in these everyday situations. Because that's really revealing what's going on in your heart. And it starts with, with us, the leaders, yeah, for sure. The leaders set the, the culture of being good examples. But it doesn't end there, guys. I, I mean... It doesn't stop with, with leadership. In the life of the church, there will always be people whose example you're following. But the key thing is, there will always be people who are following your example too. Remember that. We often forget that. This is what the way God has made it to be. And so the Christian life is not just a life of following examples. It's actually a life of being an example. It's through being a disciple that we make disciples. And... and there's a really, really simple principle in Christianity in the church that the people who pursue Jesus produce people who pursue Jesus. That's it. So think about your walk with the Lord as you're pursuing Jesus, as you stand firm in the Lord. Who are you imitating and whose example are you following? And think about this also. There are younger Christians who are imitating you. So, so what kind of example are you being? This is not just about leadership, the leadership. It's about all of us. How you live today will influence somebody's opinion of Jesus. 100%. And I guess if I want to probe that a little bit deeper, I might ask questions like, if they saw you at home with your kids, would they see a good example? If they saw how you spend your money, your, your, your credit card bill, your bank statement, would they see a good example? If they saw your browser history, would they see a good example? And Paul says, keep your eyes on those who, who walk according to the example you have in us. Look to those Christ-like examples. We stand firm by following Christ-like examples. Secondly, then, I think uh, we can stand firm by, uh, Paul teaches us here, by walking in the way of the cross. 
Really simple. Let me, let, me, let me unpack this a little bit uh, from verses 18 to 19, right? He says, um, for many, he's talked about, look to good examples. And then he says, for, so because of that, it's important, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Um, well, I mean, Sometimes there's, there's kind of three schools of thought around like who Paul is talking about specifically here. Um, some say these are, he's talking about Jewish Christians who would say, yeah, we, we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you, know, you, you also need to do all these Jewish laws to really be a Christian. Others think that these people that he's talking about, that he's mourning over, they're people who, who used to be part of the church in Philippi, who, who've kind of walked away from the church and from Jesus, and, and probably all of us here are Christians know people like that. And then others think that these enemies of the cross, as he calls them, are people who, who agree with the message of Jesus, the gospel, intellectually. They go, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But, but then their lives tell a completely different story. So, so these would be people who kind of think, well, I'm saved, and, uh, so I can just live however I want to live. I, I know, like I believed in Jesus at one point, so I know I'm good with him. Got it squared, squared away, and I'll just go on living how I want to live. Now, I, I tend to think that um, from the context and so on that it's that third group that Paul's talking about, but in many ways it doesn't even matter because his message is clear, and this is what I want you to remember. You will either walk in the way of Jesus, Paul says, or you're walking as an enemy of the cross. That, that's God's warning to us, the church this morning. You either live in the way of the cross or you live as an, you live as an enemy of the cross. I'll say that without messing up this time. You either live... In the way of the cross, or you live as an enemy of the cross. It's a stark choice that we all have to face up to. I mean, your life is being shaped by something. And if your life isn't being shaped by the cross, what is it being shaped by? Uh, Paul says back in um, uh, that verse we looked at in chapter 127, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the point really to this is that the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't just our doorway into Christianity. It's a thing that molds us and shapes our lives as Christians. You don't just believe the gospel once. You believe the gospel and then you cling to that gospel for the rest of your life because it's the only thing we have. It's the only hope we have, right? And you know what this means, what he says here, what he's saying, what he's alluding to, and he comes back to it again in our passage. He says, you need to, to live like we are citizens of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. And we don't really get that here in, in our English translation, but the word, the, the phrase that Paul uses here literally means that whatever happens, because you are citizens of heaven, live in a way that's worthy of the good news of Jesus. And now, now I feel like he's really starting to get some traction because, because if, if we want to know if something is, is worthy of the gospel, if we want to know if we're standing firm in the faith, we just have to ask ourselves this question. Is this acceptable in the kingdom of heaven? Is this the way it's going to be when Jesus fulfills his kingdom? Are my actions and behaviors or thoughts, the things I, I, I'm doing or, or want to be or do or making a decision about doing, is this acceptable in the kingdom of God? Am I living the kingdom of God here and now? See, church, in calling us to walk in the way of the cross, Paul is saying that the calling of the Christian life is, is, is to live uh, heaven here on earth. Belinda Carlisle, isn't it? Heaven is a place on earth. I don't know won't sing it. But, but 
I, I mean, uh, as we, uh, you know, maybe these names will mean nothing to you, but as we say, nothing, as we say goodbye to Lucas and Sue, who really founded Village, we, one of the things, that, the, probably the biggest lesson I take away from, from all of Lucas's long teaches is, uh, <laughs> that's just for him in the recording if he listens, um, is in Belfast as it is in heaven. And what a prayer, like what a prayer, uh, modeled on the prayer of, of Jesus himself. On earth as it is in heaven. We pray, we pray in Belfast as it is in heaven. Now, now, here's the thing. We don't just pray that. Why would we say that to God if we're not prepared to live that, right? We are to live the values of the kingdom of heaven here in the kingdom of earth. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. And so again, let me just, let me just probe and challenge. And don't worry, we're getting, to the, we're getting to the good bit. But let me just challenge this one more time. If we examine our own lives, what would we see the values of the kingdom of heaven? So what about those lustful thoughts you have about that guy that you work with? Or, or what about that anger that you feel in your heart towards your wife for no reason? Or what about that, that income that you didn't declare in your tax, your, your, your tax return? Or, or, or what about those websites that you really hope your, no one, especially not your wife, will find out about? What about all those times you've walked past that homeless guy and you've maybe judged him, looked at him with judgment instead of compassion? I wonder when we examine our lives, and trust me, I'm challenging myself too, can we say that we're living like citizens of heaven? We're either living in the way of the cross or we're living as enemies of the cross. And, and, and Paul, thankfully, gives us an example of, of, of what enemies of the, the, an enemy of the cross is like. He says their end is destruction. They have no eternal hope. They're heading towards the wrath of God. Their ultimate end is, is going to be eternal separation from God. The way of Jesus leads to eternal life. Rejecting Jesus leads to eternal destruction. And secondly, he says their God is their belly. Now, he's not just saying these are all fat people, but, but he's saying it's not necessarily about food and gluttony per se. I'm sure it includes that, but, but, he, but it's, they only think of their own physical needs. They're driven by the, the whims of their own, their own desires. Whatever they desire, they just go out and get it. They sleep with, with whoever they want to. They, they, they use whatever substances they want to. They drink as much as they want to. They eat as much as they want to. They only seek what my body tells me I'm seeking right now. They only want the pleasures of, of the world. They have no eternal perspective. And what's interesting about that one is it kind of leads into this third thing. These people are living to serve their their bodily appetites, and this leads them into what Paul says is shameful behavior, but they don't even care because Paul says this third thing, they glory in their shame. You see, enemies of the cross, they they reverse the, the, the order of heaven, the way that God has created us to live for our flourishing and our good, they stand that on its head, and then they actually, they actually gloat about that. And they, so they brag about, they, I mean, I don't know how to say these things without being old-fashioned, but they brag about their sexual conquests. They, you know, they, they want everyone to know how, how wasted they were at the weekend. They, they, they take pride in how much they earn or how much they spent on that car or that house or whatever it may be. They just revel in how good their, their physical lives are. Look how trendy I am. That kind of thing. Sounds like Instagram, quite frankly. I mean, Instagram can be good and be used for good, but often it's just a massive temptation to us. So they, they glory in their shame. And then fourthly, Paul says, their minds are set on earthly things. 
This is the reason for all their behavior. This is the reason why they're enemies of the cross. They've rejected the cross. Their minds are only on earthly things. At the very center of their being, it's almost like in your gut, where you make decisions, where they decide what is right and wrong, they're only thinking about the here and now, what's good for me, what, what, what will feel good. And this is the warning. He said, this is what enemies of the cross are like. And this is what awaits us if we reject God. And he said, listen, don't be like that. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. And so if that's being an enemy of the cross, then, then living in the way of the cross is the opposite of that. For those of us who stand firm in the Lord, we live in the way of the cross. Our minds are not set on earthly things, but on heavenly things. This is why we had a call to worship this morning, to, to, to focus our minds on heavenly things for a minute. We don't glory in our shame. You know why? Because our shame was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He became shameful so that we don't glory in our shame, we glory in his shame. And we aren't driven by our own needs and desires, we're driven by the need and desire to serve others. And finally, our end isn't destruction. Our end is eternal life. In the presence of God forever, like perfect wholeness, shalom, the Bible calls it. Peace, wholeness. All your desires and satisfactions and insecurities met. And so this is the choice we make. Me and you, we make this every day. Are we walking in the way of the cross or are we walking as an enemy of the cross? And this is important because on the cross of Jesus, on the cross Jesus met our destruction, right? That, that end that was ours, that, that end that we were going to, to be separated from God, to, to face destruction forever, he took that end. He took the destruction that should have been ours so that we wouldn't have to face destruction. And on the cross, Jesus wasn't driven by his own needs and desires. He put himself last. He put the needs of us, enemies of the cross, sinful people, before his own need. And I love this. If you, in the night before Jesus died, he was in the garden and he was praying. And I mean, he knows what's ahead of him. He knows the physical pain, the torment, and he knows the separation from God that's coming. And it, it, it's got him to the point, he's, I mean, I was going to say he's stressed, but I mean, that's an understatement. He's sweating drops of blood. There's blood coming through the pores in his skin because of what's ahead of him. But what does he say three times in his prayer? He said, Father, if there's a way that I don't have to do this, but, but you know what? Not my will, yours be done. We're going to go into the book of Hebrews uh, and, and one of the key messages in the book of Hebrews, it says that it was for the joy set before him that, that, that Jesus endured the shame of the cross. Hanging, naked, beaten, people jeering at him, mocking him. And it was, it was for the joy set before him that he endured that. And do you know what the joy is? The joy for Jesus wasn't like, yes, I get to go back to heaven and be united with the Father again. No. The joy was that he got to be with you. That's the joy. That's his joy. That's why he was able to face suffering. That's why he was able to take on the shame. That's why he was able to, 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 to stand in our place and to take on our destruction because of the joy of being with you. I want to be with you and I'll do whatever it takes. And he did this when we were enemies of the cross. I mean, phenomenal. And it's this same attitude that we're called to follow and emulate. Follow Jesus. Are we, we, Paul says, imitate me as we imitate Jesus, as he imitates Jesus. 
We imitate our oldest and brothers and sisters. They imitate Jesus. So we sacrifice ourselves for others. We, we have our minds set on heavenly things. We die for our enemies. So let's not reject the cross. Let's stand firm in the, and walk in the way of the cross. And then our, our, our third lesson, and, and this, is, uh, this is a shorter one, I think. And um, Paul said, okay, we stand fir- firm by following these Christ-like examples. Uh, and we stand firm by living in this uh, living the way of the cross, and then thirdly, we stand firm by uh, by uh, we stand firm in the Lord by looking towards His second coming, by looking towards Jesus' return. Listen to what Paul says in verses twenty to twenty-one. He says, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." He knows who he's waiting on, doesn't he? This is what we're waiting on. And, and then when, Jesus, when, we, when we finish waiting and Jesus does come back, what's going to happen? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, to, him even to subject all things to himself? This is, this is incredible stuff. We've already looked at this idea of how Paul links the idea of, of standing firm in the faith with citizenship of heaven. And here he does it again. We are to stand firm because we are citizens of heaven. And this is where I want to get into look at maybe the context of, of, of where the Philippians were in this city of Philippian, Philippi. Why is he saying it's important that you remember that you're citizens of heaven and that Jesus has everything subject to him? Well, here's why. Because Philippi was like the ideal Roman city, right? It wasn't anywhere near Rome. It was way out in Greece. But it was like a mini Rome. They actually took pride in being like perfect Roman citizens. They would happily say, Caesar is Lord. They paid good taxes. They had their idols. They, they, had, they sculpted their architecture just to be like Rome. And you see, back in those days, the, the Roman emperor didn't like you having allegiance to anyone else. He, ha, he wanted to have ultimate authority, total authority. And Paul says, listen, stand firm. You guys are different. We are the church. We are not under the authority of Caesar, really. There is only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. So don't live like this Roman empire uh, because, because you know what? This Roman Empire is not all there is. Someday that's going to end. And you know what? Jesus is going to come back and he's going to prove once and for all that he is Lord of all. So no matter how much they persecute you, no matter what happens, be like those trees in the North Coast. Stand firm. And, and, and this is a lesson that we need to hear, church, in 2020. I, I think we do. Because often we, we worry too much about who's in political office than we do about who is Lord of Lords. Church, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to play our part in making Belfast better. Your, your, your job as, as a follower of Jesus is to, is to work for the good of your city, to, to make your street a better street to, to be on, to, to care for the needs of, of the poor and the needy and the abused and the ostracized. But I have to remind you that faith and no political system will, 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 will save you. Your faith in a prime minister, a Taoiseach, won't save you. Your faith in orange or green won't save you. Because the truth is that all the people who have ever been in power in the world, uh, and, and I just was reminded this morning, me and Haley have been watching The Crown, that series on Netflix, and it's really good. Um, but, but all the people of power, all, all, the, all, the, all the politicians and dictators and diplomats and princes and, and even freedom fighters and terrorists and and, and Tyrants, kings, queens, 
Here's, here's, the, here's the one thing that they all have in common. They're all just playing. They're all just playing at having power. They just have the illusion of power. God has just given them a tiny little bar of power for a short period of time. Do you remember Scrappy-Doo? Remember Scrappy-Doo? Uh, uh, Scooby-Doo's uncle. Wasn't he his uncle, I think? He's a, a tiny, wee, tiny wee puppy. This is, this is what people in authority in the world, this is what earthly power looks like. You're like, let me at him, let me at him. I'm, I'm so big and tough. But really, you're just a kind of tiny wee puppy that's kind of cute. That, that's what God sees when he looks at people in power. There's only one true authority, one true Lord who will rule forever, only one government that's going to last forever, only one authority figure who will end hunger, who will end war, who will end injustice, who will end sexism, who will end racism, who will end poverty, who will end wars, who will end murder, who will end oppression. There's only one person who has the authority to do that, only one true king, and his name is Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to, what, listen to what Paul says about Jesus, the, the Savior that we wait for. He says this, by the power that enables him to even, to, the, by the power that enables him to, to even subject all things to himself. All things. Not just some things, not just nearly all things. Listen, if there's one molecule of, of the universe that is not subject to Jesus, then he is not king of kings. But all things have been subject to him. Uh, apparently, there's this thing that people do. Uh, what people make fun of the illustrations I use. But I'm going to use a football one again because I like football. Um, but I don't know if anyone remembers this. I don't, but I've read about it and, and watched some stuff. But in the 1970s, the Dutch created this system of football called total football. And it was really clever because it was, it was really firm but really fluid at the same time. So if, say, a defender moved forward to attack, then someone would take his place. It was just really hard to play against. And they called it total football, that every player on the pitch is, is trained to play in every position. And it's really, really hard to, to play against. Everything is taken care of. There's not, there's not one thing that is left out. And when Paul, what, what Paul says here, this authority that Jesus has, this is what I call total redemption. Total redemption. Not one part, not one minuscule atom of all of creation is outside his authority. And Paul loved talking about this. This is one of his favorite subjects. And, and, I, and frankly, I think that we'd probably do more, it'd probably be better for us if we spent more time meditating on the total redemption of Jesus than, than we do worrying about who's in Downing Street or Stormont. Not that we shouldn't be interested in politics, but we should remember that those people, those men and women, no matter how powerful they are, are only there under the authority of Jesus. Paul says in another letter in Colossians to the church in Colossae, he says in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things being reconciled to Jesus. How has he done this? By the blood of his cross. And, and, and here's what I want to just, I just really want to encourage us and finish by thinking about this for a second. See, most of the time when we think about the redemption of Jesus and his work on the cross, we think about it in terms of what he has done for me as an individual, don't we? 
I know we've been trained to do that. And, and so, we, so we, we're, we, we thank God that my sins are forgiven, that I've been united with Christ, that I have eternal life, that, that I'm saved eternally, that I will be with God in the new creation, that I am uh, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And all those things are true and good, and we should celebrate those things. But listen, if, if I think that the scope of Jesus' redemption on the cross is only about the forgiveness of my sins, I've severely undervalued his work. There is not one part of creation that Jesus did not die to redeem. And you see, ever since the fall, that all of creation has been moving away from Christ. And through the blood of his cross, he has reconciled all things. The scope of Jesus' redemption is the scope of everything that has ever existed and ever will exist. And when you trust Jesus for salvation, you're brought into this total redemption. And part of what happens then is when, when our sins are forgiven is that we recognize that Jesus is Lord. My sins being forgiven by Jesus on the cross is a doorway into total redemption, is a doorway into the kingship of Jesus, recognizing that Jesus has ultimate authority. And, be, and we become citizens of society called the kingdom of God. Jesus is king of that, of that. And so we're no longer citizens of Belfast or Northern Ireland or Ireland or UK or whatever way you want to call yourself. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And here's the good news. And I really am done now. According to this passage, the Bible, the word of God, which I believe to be true, we believe to be true. Our king is coming soon. Our king. He's going to soon be here. And when he returns, he's not coming as we baby in a manger this time. He's coming on a horse. He's coming dressed in glory. He's coming dressed ready for war. And nobody will be able to stand against him. And if we're walking as enemies of the cross, we'll be destroyed. If we're walking in the way of the cross, you know what happens? We'll be welcomed as friends. In light of this truth then, how can we ever bend the will of human authority? How could we ever be blown off course? How could we not stand firm? Because we stand firm in that knowledge that, that, that the king, our king, who loves us and died for us, is coming soon. He, he's redeeming everything. So every time you fall off your bike, you break a pelvis, you get back on. Because you're doing it not in our strength. You're doing it in the strength of the one who has subjected everything under his own authority. Pursue the finish line because it's worth pursuing at all costs because the opposite is total destruction. Now listen, you're my brothers and sisters and I love you. And I just want you to hear this. Our king is coming back. Our king is coming. He's returning in glory. And then on that day, and I don't have time to go into it, but he's going to transform our bodies from these temporal things that fade away. Even just at a funeral the other day and you're reminded again that our bodies are fragile, but he's going to transform us and to have eternal bodies so we can live that eternal kingdom and never die. So let me finish. How are you going to live? How are we going to live, church? Are we going to live like the powers of this world, the social media and the, the pressures of work and the people in Stormont or, or Downing Street or wherever? Are, are we going to live like these things are all there are? That money and and security and like are we going to live like that's all there is in life are we going to stand firm like paul encourages us to do we're going to stand firm waiting for the return of our king he's coming back and he actually has authority so may we never give up may we may we always follow christ-like examples may we uh, serve to be examples to others may we live in the way of the cross just daily 
is sacrificing ourselves for others and reminding ourselves of the grace that, 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 that God has extended to us through the death of Jesus. And may we just always look forward to the coming of the King. Remind yourself again this week that, oh, I, my King is coming back soon and he's actually in charge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you love us. Thank you that you've demonstrated that love uh, for us supremely through the death of Jesus. And thank you on the cross that that was not a defeat. That was a victory for our king. He entered into death so that he could defeat death by, by uh, raise, being raised from death. And Father, I pray that uh, just as we kind of uh, go back into our weeks, we're all from different places and all doing different things this week, but we just pray that you would uh, just keep that thought at the forefront of our minds, that our king who loves us and died for us and has ultimate authority is coming back, and one day he will prove that he is king of kings. Let us live under his authority only. And we pray these things for the glory of Jesus. And we want to live by the power of your spirit, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.